Um, as we go to scripture this morning, with that moment in mind, Gene, thanks for stepping up. Shannon is uh, called in sick uh, this morning. Um, and I, I want you to look at this scripture, and you're going to see two things. She's going to read two sections. One is where Peter suddenly kind of gets it. And I want to remind us that throughout particularly all four Gospels, and particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the disciples never, ever, ever get it. Until this one shining moment where Peter kind of steps into the light. But then he immediately loses it. But then there's this second section, and there's this word that says deny. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But listen to these words as Jane reads this morning. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, And then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Holy wisdom, holy word. God. Highland Junior High School. Right up the road here. I drive by it often, right there on Bellevue Redmond Road and right kind of over by Fred Meyer and Sears and all that place. I remember as though it was yesterday. Now, what I have to tell you is that in junior high, and I've shared this with you before, I was a geeky nerd. I was the second smallest kid in my elementary, in my junior high school. I wore those wonderful black horned rim glasses. And I, and I was not just short, I was gangly. And it, it was several. And, and my best friend was Gordy Anderson. And, and these names have never disappeared. Now I couldn't for the life of me name anybody else in the choir or anyway. Gordy was my best friend. And I remember the day where outside on the kind of back corner of the gym at Highland, I had sent a note to Donna Conine. I was absolutely in love 
with Donna Conine. And if you know Donna, just tell her hi, because I haven't seen her since then. But, and, and so, or Gordy, for that matter. And, and, and so, so I was ready, because I knew what Gordy was going to do is he was bringing me the note from Donna back to me. But there we were. And, and, and Gordy walked up, and you could never read Gordy. He was just kind of that kind of junior high kid. And by the way, he was like the star athlete. He, why he put up with me or walked with me or was friends with me, I will never know. But, but, but he walked around the corner, and I was ready. Baby, I was ready for the note from Donna Conine. She was lovely. And so Gordy walks over. And again, did I mention it's like yesterday? And so I just put my hand out, and he, he takes his hand, and I thought, okay, here comes the note. And he turns his hand over and drops the ripped-up note, the note that I had sent Donna, professing my love to her, and dropped it in my hand. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) That became a defining moment for me. As I mentioned, sometimes those experiences in our lives become defining moments. I can't for the life of me. I sang at Highland Junior High. I was a pole vaulter. That's where I started pole vaulting at Highland. I have no idea who else is on the track team. I have no idea who else was in the Highlanders other than Gordy. But I remember Donna Conine. I remember Mary and Terry Carrington because they kind of did the same thing a little bit later. They were also neighbors of ours up on 172nd. I remember all those things. Why is it, friends, that those kinds of events in our lives have a tendency to define us? Why is it that we have this kind of mentality that you can say 10, 20, 30, 50, or hear 50 positive things about you, then comes that one negative? And guess where we focus? It's like a magnet. Why is it that those kinds of events, those kinds of statements, and other people, we allow other people to define who and what we are? The reason I start out with this this morning is because as I hear that scripture that Gene read and Jesus coming back and saying, who do they say that I am? I think of junior high. And the question we always asked about the one that we wanted to go out with. So what do they say about me? You know, standing there at the locker or back behind the gym or wherever it is. And and, it just struck me as I was preparing for the sermon this morning that it's kind of how it appears at the outset. So is Jesus insecure? Because that's what happens. You know, that's what we do when we're insecure. What do they say about me? No. He was anything but insecure. For Jesus, this was a moment of evaluation to see if what he was trying to accomplish and what he was trying to do was being understood by any, including his disciples. Anyone, including his disciples. And in this moment of miraculous intelligence, Peter says, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know what you are, and I know how you are. 
And what happens in that moment, in that moment for Peter, is he becomes redefined. Suddenly, in that moment of recognition, his whole life shifts. And everything he does then becomes defined not by others, but by that. By that moment of the realization that this Jesus is the Christ. And what happens then? Jesus recognizes this. He turns to him and he says, No longer are you Simon, son of Jonah. No longer are you that. You are now rock, rocky, the rock, the foundation. Petros is the word. You are now Petros, Peter. And on this foundation, I will build my church. So I want to ask you this morning. I ask the kids, what defines you? If you were to get up again this morning, if I was to kind of be that person who, who watched you have breakfast, or, 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 or even more importantly, if I was able to hear the words that were going through your mind when you looked in the mirror this morning, what would those words be? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? When you look in the mirror, do you see a beloved child of God? When you look in the mirror, do you see a miracle? When you look in the mirror, do you see a failure? A struggler? Any of those things, and I think for many of us, it's a combination. The more serious question this morning is, when you look in the mirror, is it readily apparent and readily understood that you are identified absolutely, absolutely as a follower of Jesus. If I was to ask people around you, whether in your family or in your relationships or in the church, in your neighborhood, what would they say about you? What if you asked that same question that Jesus asked? What do they say about me? What would they say about you? Would they immediately be able to say, She's a follower of Christ, and I see it in everything that she does. Between services, it was so interesting because one of our newer folks came up to me and said, I don't know how to do this. My whole life, he said, has been defined by the knots, N-O-T. I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm failing at this, I don't... And, and now what I'm seeing is he has two children and both of them are beginning to play this out of being defined by the knots. And I think so often we do this. We become defined by the knots. The failures that we see or those events that, that like... I mean, why in the world am I cursed with this memory of Donna Conine? Because that's how we're wired, so many of us. That the negative things become the definers, or other people become the definers. Even after Peter got it, he immediately then failed. Blew it. Completely blew it. But you know what? His name didn't change. He was still the rock. He was still Petros, 
even in the midst of that failure, Jesus was able to look at him and say, Peter, it's not about the failure. It's not. It's about you being able to be identified with me. An understanding of who you are because of me. Are you defined by that? And if not, why not? The danger of that question is suddenly what I asked you is, what are you not? And I don't want to do that. But it's a struggle. We came out of this spiritual gifts retreat. And I will tell you, I've gone through probably 15 to 20 spiritual gifts retreats or spiritual gifts assessments. Something was different about this one. The way that John unfolded this and took pieces of our personality and pieces of our history and pieces of our understanding and with an acronym of SHAPE was able to help us understand that our spiritual gifts are one element within us, but it is a key critical element that if we understand our own spiritual gifts, those things that God has placed in each one of us, we will understand much more fully the rest of us. John, you said something yesterday. Uh, I think it was yesterday about taking the Myers-Briggs and doing all that other stuff in the, in the midst of this. And I, I went back, and I'd done this this last summer of looking back at my Myers-Briggs. And so I looked at my Myers-Briggs, and by the way, I am an INFJ. What that really means is I'm weird. <laughs> there are only 2% of the population that are INFJs. And it just means I'm a bizarre human being. <laughs> not what I'm not, but that is what it means. Um, and so then I went back and I looked at my DISC assessment, which is a whole other personality. And I am a high D, which means I am unhealthily driven all too often. Now, I'm sharing all this with you for a reason. Then I went back and I looked at my strength finders, which is something that comes out of Gallup. And we're going to continue to look at this as a staff. And strength finders, once you go through this test, names your five areas of strength. And my number one is a learner. I'm also a competitive achiever. I'm also what's called an individualized kind of person. In other words, what I try and do is look at individuals and see what, what they might accomplish. And there's more. I'm also, strategy is another one. And that defines me. And, and until, you know, this is just nothing information until what we do is we take some time to put it all together. Last summer I did that, and it was life-changing. So my question to you is, when's the last time you did any kind of assessment of yourself? When's the last time you, and you're going to hear this word over these next six weeks, invested in self-understanding? When's the last time that you took a Sabbath, and as a part of that Sabbath, looked in the mirror, or thought about yourself, and realized the immensity of gifts that are in you and wrote them down so that in those times where you get confronted by the Donna Conines of your life, you can go back. One day, you know, she's going to show up in church someday. <laughs> and can go back to that in those times of negativity and say, but I am, by the way, a beloved, gifted, talented, loved child of God. In this society, what we do is we're taught to focus on the knots. We're taught that we, we fall short. 
Even today in the media, any commercial will tell you what you don't have. Any commercial will tell you what you're not. And by the way, this product is going to help you get what you need because Crest Toothpaste has the answer. <laughs> I want us to begin to shift. And what I'm asking of you in the, is the next week to begin to do some focused work on yourself, but not to focus on the knots, to focus on the goods, the positives, to look in the mirror and see that you are a walking, talking, thinking, brilliant miracle. And to recognize that, and that within that, every single one of us, every single one of us, brings something to the table. And if you don't find that, the table will never be complete. Spending time to figure out what it is that God has gifted us with. And then being willing to share that with others. Not out of ego. But because it's when we come together as community that we come to the second piece of this scripture. What Gene read was, what Jesus said to Peter once he had that recognition was, now I give you the keys to the kingdom. I give you the keys to the kingdom. I had this great debate with a friend uh, this last week, a pastor who is um, on kind of the conservative side. And he thinks I'm doing everything wrong because I'm not telling you what you're not. I'm not talking about your sin, and I'm not talking about hell, and I'm not talking about any of those things. And, and, and he said, because until you do that, your congregation will never understand how to get to heaven. Matter of fact, your congregation won't even go there. I said, that's not what this is about. And we talked about the scripture that I was talking about, that I'm talking about this morning, especially when it comes to the keys of the kingdom. If you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he said that is the only way that you're going to unlock that door with that key and get into the kingdom. I want you to know how vehemently I disagree with that. When Jesus talks about the keys to the kingdom, it's not about heaven. It's not about getting to heaven or doing the things or recognizing our knots or, or any of those things. The keys to the kingdom have nothing to do with... I can't shake them. Keys! <laughs> what we do then is we go back what we have to do to understand the keys of the kingdom and go back to Matthew 5 again and look again. The keys of the kingdom are the Beatitudes. The keys to the kingdom have nothing to do with heaven unless you believe heaven is available to us right now and what we're going to do to bring heaven to earth. That's the keys to the kingdom. And that's what Peter saw. And the only way to truly understand that, I believe, is to understand the teachings of Christ. And, I close with this, and that each of us have gifts to bring and every one of us Every single one of us are miraculous, beloved children of God. Every single one of that. And when God looks at us, that's what God sees. So are you living that? Are you believing that? Are you accepting that? 
And if not, let's have a conversation. And let's do some work together on the keys of the kingdom and being beloved children of God. But you have work to do, and I'm asking you to invest in yourself. In the next six weeks, I'm going to talk about investing in marriage. I'm going to talk about investing in family and parents and our children. I'm going to talk about investing in the community. But it begins first with investing in ourselves and an understanding of ourselves. And from there, we'll build and go from there. It's all about investment. It all is. So as we prepare for that and as we prepare for communion, will you pray with me? God, I still look in the mirror and I, and I still see a ripped up note. And I ask that you help not only me, but all of us look beyond the knots. Those places where we were hurt or damaged or, 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 or put down. Help each of us as we go through this work and as we go through this time to look in the mirror and see that beloved, beautiful, grace-filled, peace-filled acceptance that you bring to us. And help it not stop just in the mirror. But help us bring that to everybody that we meet. Everybody. God, I just ask that you help us with this as we move into this time as a church. All this I ask in Christ's name. Amen.